This is made for you by All Souls, a church in Seattle, Washington, seeking to be a community not just for ourselves, but a vibrant expression of who God is, gracious, present, hospitable. Take a moment now to come as you are and bring your attention to God. Thanks. If you haven't already, please take a seat. And I'm delighted to invite Steve today to come and share to us. Um, Some of you uh, may remember that earlier this year, we announced our hope to grow in wisdom and in listening this year. And uh, in a really great, kind, generous way, Steve is volunteering to help us with both. (laughs) So he is um, someone who has made himself available um, to you all uh, in our community as a listener and for prayer. And he can, uh, I'm sure, describe a little bit more about the specifics of that. But we're delighted to have him as well as someone who has just um, seen a lot of seasons of life and has walked through them and learned how to navigate them maybe ahead of where we are in our own lives and offers us wisdom. And so we're delighted to listen to Steve bring um, God's word to us today. So thank you, brother. Thank you, Steve. Let me pray. May the words of my mouth and the thoughts of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my strength, and my redeemer. So be it. I've been looking forward to this. Um, I told Kara earlier that it's going to be a a homily that's authentic to Steve. That's all I can say. And uh, I I hope it'll be meaningful for you as well, your support. Actually, throughout the proper process of preparing for today, I've been joined by a cloud, a cloud of witnesses, the Bible calls it sometimes, Uh, People that have come to me, some of them are no longer with us. They're people I've known in the past that passed on. Some are folks that are still alive and well. Sam was one of them. He's he's one of my key encouragers in this whole process. And uh, so you're going to be meeting a few of those from the cloud today and also be hearing uh, some uh, ruminations about some of the favorite passages of Scripture that that I personally uh, appreciate, including the one that Kara just, just read to us. Okay, let's, uh, let's roll the videotape, as they say. Listen up. Listen up. Okay, listen up. Listen up. Okay, uh, everybody listen up. Okay, everyone, listen up, please. Listen up. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever used that expression? Well, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a person who's into to expressions and words, but I found that on the... Hello, hello, Magic English 8 here. Thank you for watching my videos. I hope they are helpful. <laughs> we, we took a tour of the boathouse this morning with my, my grandson, Sam and, and Jill, and Sam is so strong, he broke the rowing machine. Now, can, can you imagine that? Not really, it was already broken, but poor guy had to, had to suffer through that. So it looks like it's in the family here. Um, so that was not called for the last part there, but uh, the rest of it is. The, the term, listen up, I found this on, on a YouTube video because for people who are learning uh, English as a second language, that's kind of a weird expression. 
you could say, listen, but what's the up for? Why do we say listen up? So I, I found out that there was actually an expression that came about in World War II. It was out of a military context, as it showed in one of those uh, bit, uh, clips of a movie. And listen up was, the, the emphasis was, all right, you really need to pay attention to me here. As I thought about it, though, and I was looking for a title for this homily, I thought, well, we, we hear a lot about how important it is to listen, listen to each other. But in the context of a church, yes, we really need to listen to each other, but we also need to listen up. We need to listen to the voice of God. And I'm going to be uh, talking a bit about some of the things that I aspire for myself and also for this community here, for this church in the next year that I'll be walking along with you as a, uh, as a, a member of the staff and working in this area of listening and, and prayer. If I can have the next slide, please. I want you to meet Warren Gore. Warren Gore was a faculty member at the University of Minnesota about 45, 50 years ago. I got to know Warren when I first signed on as a faculty member there in 1977. He was getting to the end of his career at that time. He taught in a department of rhetoric in the College of Agriculture. Now figure that one out. Um, the department of rhetoric was, was actually a historical uh, sort of accident. It had been put in in the 1800s because a lot of farmers would come to campus and uh, want to take courses, but they needed to learn some of the basic uh, humanities kinds of things too. So um, the department was put in place and Warren was hired as one of their rhetoricians. And he um, taught speech and he also taught composition. And all I can say is look at that picture. Wouldn't you love to have taken your beginning composition course from that guy? Look at that smile. And, and it really fit who he was. Anyway, Warren was the first person who put the idea of listening on my radar. I was a new faculty member, and I was advising students, and he taught a course at the university at that time in the rhetoric department called Effective Listening. They had speech courses. They had lots of other kinds of communications courses, but he taught Effective Listening. And then I found out later that that's a course that had been taught at the university for over 40 years, who knows how many hundreds or thousands of students had gone through it. And I was kind of taken by that. I had never had a chance to take an effective listening course when I was at my university. And um, so I talked to Warren quite a bit about it, and I found out that uh, it was actually a discipline. It was a field of study for him and for others at the university. In getting ready for today, I called one of Warren's former colleagues, who's still with us. Warren, of course, has passed on. But um, Lori Hayes is a, a good friend and colleague. And I said, Lori, tell me a few things about Warren. And she has really good things and memories to share. But she went on and taught some of these kinds of courses in the, in the past. And she said, I said, well, what did you tell people when they took effective listening? She said, well, one thing I gave them, since a lot of them were engineers and you know, quantitatively oriented, I gave them a formula. And the formula was L equals A-W squared. Hmm, interesting. Tell me about that. Well, L stands for listening. A stands for ability. And the W squared, which is the most important element in the whole thing, is willingness. So yeah, it takes a little bit of ability to be a good listener. But there needs to be a willingness to listen. 
And, and RJ referred to the fact that uh, he had previously shared you know, his desire for this to be a listening place. I want to second that motion. It's my aspiration and my desire that this church will become known as a listening place, a place where when you come as a visitor or as a regular parishioner or whatever, people are listening to you. They're, they're looking you in the eye and they're listening to what you have to say. And then, of course, we're also going to talk about listening to God. And this is the kind of place where that can be fostered and helped. Okay, let's go to the next uh, slide, please. Okay, Kara read to us the story of Jesus' parents losing Jesus. And you've probably heard this story if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke. But it caused me to think a little bit. Just think what it would have been like to be the parent of the Son of God. Just think about that for a little bit. Um, obviously, he had his own agenda. And he didn't bother, apparently, to tell Joseph or Mary that he was going to be staying behind. And they had to seek him out. But um, Jesus was modeling for us at age 12, listening. I think it's real interesting. In other accounts in the scripture, it shows us that Jesus had confrontational encounters with the authorities and with the teachers and scribes and so on. But in this case, he's a 12-year-old soaking it up, listening very intently. He's also got a discourse going, and they're amazed at what he knows at his age already. But he's listening to these uh, authorities and these uh, scholars. And then his parents show up. And, and uh, uh, Carrie didn't read this verse, but it's right after the part that she read. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. Astonished. You know, that's a word I don't use very much. And I don't think I used it very much when I was a parent. But I have used it in the last month. My grandson, Sam, who is with us today, has taken up a new sport. He's now become what they call a park skier. Now, would you put the next slide up? This is my dear son, grandson, Sam. It was taken about a month ago, and he was up at Snoqualmie, and he was doing a backflip on his skis. It's something that they do in this particular sport. I pray for Sam a lot, <laughs> but I also really admire him. Uh, when we're parents or grandparents, one of our aspirations is that our children and grandchildren will exceed our grasp. You know, they'll do better than we ever did. Tell you what, folks, even at 14, 15, I would not have ever tried that. So Sam has definitely exceeded my grasp. He was in an event yesterday. He did really well down at Mount Hood. So I think he's off on something here with his park skiing. And that's what it means to be astonished, I think, is to watch something like Sam has been in the last month. Next slide, please. Kara has kind of, in a way, inspired me a lot of, uh, along the way in this preparation. And one of the ways she inspired me was with this picture. If you've been around All Souls for a while, you know that Kara actually shared this picture with us. Uh, what would it have been, Kara? Are you still here? I know she has to run out, but it would probably been a year, maybe a year and a half ago. And um, it's, it's titled The Road to Emmaus. It's taken from a text in uh, the book of Luke in the 24th chapter. 
And it's a story that you may be familiar with where there are two of the disciples who are walking the, uh, walking the road to Emmaus, which was uh, about seven miles or so from Jerusalem. And they're talking about the fact that there's been a rumor that Jesus is back with us again. The crucifixion had happened. He was put in the tomb. But it's the same day that the resurrection occurred and um, they've been hearing these stories mostly from the women saying that they went to the tomb and he wasn't there anymore. And there's a lot of confusion, a lot of questioning going on. They're walking down the the, uh, road talking about this and the third man comes up and walks with them. Turns out it's actually Jesus. And in a mysterious way, they're not able to recognize him. Although I actually have had that experience with someone, so I, I, I kind of believe it can happen. And they didn't recognize him. And they uh, are asking him, are you the only one in the whole place that doesn't know what's going on? And he explains to them the, the realities of who Jesus is by t- giving them a pretty darn good uh, lesson from the Old Testament, which was the scripture of the day. And so they said, um, they did, still didn't recognize him. And they go and they invite him to come to dinner. And they, at the, during the dinner, he breaks the bread. And it says at that moment, their eyes were open and they realized who he was. And he then left or vanished. But they said afterwards, did our hearts not burn within us when he was walking with us and sharing with us the scriptures on the way here? So at this point, I'm going to introduce you to another friend of mine from a long time ago. Can I get the next slide? This is a man who is um, one that I would unabashedly regard as a mentor. When I was at the university, I wrote an article about mentoring. And it's my premise that mentors are few and far between. We use the word a lot. But when you really analyze who are the people that were mentors in your life, My guess is it's not that many. Because I think in addition to people that just are able to be able to give you information or whatever, they often are inspirational figures as well. And so um, Carl Lundquist was the former president of Bethel, at that time Bethel College, it's now Bethel University, back in Minnesota. He became the president in 1954 and he stayed president until 1982. So he did it for 28 years. It was during during his tenure that they made the decision to move from St. Paul out to Arden Hills, and the campus took off, and it became the major school that it is today. Carl uh, was the facilitator of a retreat I attended back in 1987, I think it was, and I met him, and I was very impressed. And I was looking for a mentor at that point. I would have been 41 years old. And I uh, went up to Carl and, and, and I said, would you mind meeting with me occasionally and we could just talk about things? I'm an academic, you're an academic, we can talk about that kind of stuff. Sure, I'd be glad to, Steve. So for the next three and a half years or so, uh, he and I met about once a month at a restaurant. We talked. He listened. He really listened. And he uh, fed back to me things that I needed to hear at that point in my life. Carl then contracted a very rare cancer. There were no treatments for it. He um, made himself, I guess you could say, a guinea pig. He offered himself to the medical community to do some experimental drugs and things like that. But he passed on in 1991. Uh, I was with him for about three and a half years in my walk. 
He was an inspirational uh, figure. At the memorial, which I went to in Minnesota, one of the eulogists said, Carl Lundquist taught us a lot about how to live, but he also showed us how to die. And he did. Uh, he was a, a really inspirational figure. Well, in preparing for, the, for this homily, uh, uh, Carl has come back to me. Uh, I, th I think about Carl a lot, but uh, he's come back to me literally in that I found a YouTube video, or video, yeah, I guess it was an audio, of Carl when he gave a uh, chapel uh, talk at Seattle Pacific University on February the 10th, 1984. Folks, that was 40 years ago, almost exactly. And I'm gonna ask uh, Greg to play uh, about a, a little less than a minute of Carl's talk where he's referencing this passage from Luke 24 that we've already talked about. I think all of this is in this passage, the burning heart. What does that symbol, a burning heart, represent then? Well, to me, it represents a living, dynamic, daily experience with Jesus Christ. He's not just an idea, not just an intellectual postulate, not just some theology to be studied, important as all of that is, but he's a person to be loved, someone to enter into experience with, someone to have such intimate fellowship with that we feel like these two disciples did not our hearts also burn with us when he talked with us along the way and when he opened to us the scriptures. Thank you, Greg. 40 years ago. I'm going to come back to Carl again with another remark a little bit later. Go to the next slide, please. So my discipline, my specialty is botany. Uh, I started college, actually, wanting to be a forester. And that lasted until I realized that they were mostly interested in cutting trees down, and that wasn't my bag, so I bailed and went into biochemistry. But um, it was uh, my first love, and I still love trees, especially big trees. But when we talk about listening, um, one of my pet interests is listening to our lives. And RJ mentioned that I'm offering to be a listener. And what I'm offering to specifically do is if you want somebody to just sit down with you for an hour and just listen to you, listen to your life, listen to your story, I could be your guy. I won't do it a lot of times, <laughs> probably only do it once. But I will listen to you. I won't be an advisor. I won't be a, a, you know, a, somebody that's going to give you a lot of wisdom necessarily. But I'd love to listen to what your story is. I spend a lot of time listening to my own story and writing about it. In preparing for this, this homily, I've thought about my life a lot. I think about it most of the time. And I've thought about this uh, cross-section of a tree that I ran into the picture not that long ago. And I realized that, you know, it, a, a tree's cross-section like this is sort of symbolic of a person's life. When I was at the university, I studied dendrochronology, which is, uh, you may have heard of it, it's a way to study tree rings and figure out what climate changes have occurred and all that sort of thing. And um, so I, I thought about my life as a cross-section of a tree. And if I think back, I was born in 1946, and I think back of everything that's come since then, there have been spurts and there have been not-so-spurty times. 
And I thought, I'm going to pick out just a couple or three periods that I think a lot of stuff happened for me in my life. And I want to get to know these people. I want them to get to know me. Maybe I'll just share two or three of these periods with them and see what, you know, if that helps them to know who, who I am. So you can go to the next picture, please. There are some people here you might recognize, actually. The, the blushing bride is Marianne, who's sitting right over here. And the, the, the guy in the back with a Cheshire cat grin is me. Uh, this photo was taken on July the 18th, 1970. It was at uh, the reception line after our wedding. The period from 1967 to 1972, that's about five years, was a powerful time for me. I graduated from college in 68, but before that was when I made the decision to make Jesus the number one authority in my life. I decided to follow Christ. It was through the ministry of an organization called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, if you're familiar with that. And it changed my life. And it's been a different life ever since. And so 1967, that happened. 1968, I went to the Air Force. And I got into the hardest job I've ever had. I was an intercontinental ballistic launch officer during the Cold War. And so in effect, I had my finger on the button. And it was a really intense, tough job for four years. But I also got to meet Marianne. And so as the picture shows, we tied the knot in 1970, and we've been together ever since. I think we're coming up on 54 years, so there we are. And then the last thing that happened was, even though I had been a good student as an undergraduate and all that, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go in my career. And I found my domain, which was agriculture and natural resources, and uh, found my way into graduate school, and the rest of this history. Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay, this is the next five-year period, roughly, from uh, 2011 until 2016. That's Sam. Not quite the same Sam you see today. But Sam and I were over at the uh, Woodland Park Zoo. And it looks like he's copying me. No, I'm copying him. He would go around often when we were together with his hands behind his back, kind of like an aspiring professor, I felt like. And uh, I would copy, copy him and, write, and walk along with him. So uh, that's Sam and me. So one of the really important things of that 2011 to 16 period is I became a grandfather. And that changed a lot for me in a really wonderful way. It still is changing it. I also lost some dear uh, friends and family. I lost a close friend from the university. I lost my mother and lost my brother, all three in the same roughly two, three-year period. And although we're all losing people, we all know we never get used to it. Uh, it's, uh, there's an adjustment. And when it's a family member, like a, fa a brother or a mother, uh, there's always an adjustment going on. I happen to be writing right now about my mother's life. It's still a part of who I am. It's also um, a time when uh, Marianne and I made the decision to move to Seattle. That was a big one. And we're glad we did. And we're especially glad to be associated with all souls. And let's uh, go to the next picture, please. And the final period that I'll talk about begins in 2024. 
So I don't really know what this one's going to hold. But as I've been preparing for this homily, I'm pretty convinced that the next period of time, however long it's going to be, is going to be a very important time for Marion and me. I can't predict exactly what it's all going to be. I know Sam's going to graduate from high school. Uh, I know some of my other grandchildren are going to go through some milestones. Uh, we may face health issues that we're not currently facing. We don't know. But I have a real, import, a real conviction that the next five years are going to be very powerful for us. And um, I'm thankful that I'm going to have all souls to be a part of, of the journey for that. And... Um, all that that may mean. So we're into a beginning, a new, a new stage, if you think back to the tree ring. Okay, uh, this slide is actually also supposed to prompt me to talk a little bit about listening to God. I call it a quiet place in Washington. It's actually up at St. Edward's uh, State Park up on Lake Washington, which was formerly a, a monastic seminary, I believe. Um, but um, one of my, my prime passions now, I guess, is uh, helping to lead retreats, uh, being involved in retreats, um, pilgrimages where you take people, and I call them moving retreats. You move from one place to the next, and it becomes a spiritual rhythm for yourself. When I met Carl Lundquist, who you've already met, uh, I met him at a retreat, I mentioned that. It was one of the first retreats I'd actually uh, attended. It was a silent retreat. So Carl would speak to us, but we were not necessarily speaking to each other, and it was intended to be a very quiet time for listening to God's voice. And I've done a number of those kinds of retreats since and intend to do others in the future, and I've actually even facilitated a few of them, and perhaps we'll have an opportunity to do something like that here. Carl urged Christians um, to find a place in their busy lives where they can come apart in silence. The silence is kind of important sometimes. In order to become aware of the reality and presence of God, silence helps us to hear that still, small voice that's referenced in the scriptures. I'm going to wrap up by quoting a poem to you. I just came across my path on Wednesday, I think it was, uh, from a uh, fellow that I listen or follow on uh, the internet uh, uh, by the name of Steve Garnas Holmes. Some of you may know of him. He's a pastor out in the East. Find yours, a place of solitude, a place of soulitude, where you are just your soul just your being, which is in God. Listen, wait, be. God is holding you. And thank you for listening.